Welcome to Girls Gone Canon. This is a Season 8, Episode 3 Q&A and Predictions episode on The Long Night. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. You might know me as Lizen Arbor on the internet or at my blog, LizenArborGold.com. And I am Eliana, another one of your hosts. And you might know me as Glass Table Girl on the A Song of Ice and Fire subreddit on the Maester Monthly Podcast. Maybe you know me as Arithmetric over on Twitter. Hello, hello. So we obviously did not put out a normal episode three recap review like we've been doing on Tuesdays this week because we were at Ice and FireCon. We did our VIP patron live stream right after the episode. If you haven't checked it out, jump on YouTube. Go to Girls Gone Canon on YouTube is our only video. Brand new. We'll be using that probably mostly for live streams, but uh, it is up there. There are some good hot takes from right after the episode. We were joined by a lot of fandom guests, uh, some friends from History of Westeros. We had our friend Rebecca, Lady of Waves. We were joined by a lot of other people who went to the convention, uh, such as B-Word, who you might know as a person who does a lot of great riddles on Twitter. You're also joined by, of course, Lady Gwyn and some of our other friends like from the Drinks and Nose Things podcast. It was a great time. And, you know, you can actually hear our answers. So I'm going to say it was a success. I think so, too. I had a lot of fun doing yeah. it. Uh, we had some technical difficulties getting it started, but Ashea from History of Westeros, our girl, she was there for us. She got us going. Uh, we made it happen. It was. Uh, it took a village to have a live stream. Yeah, as they say, uh, Ashea is the best, and truly, she is. She is the magic that makes streams happen. So we are taking a break from our normal book podcast next week. Uh, usually on Fridays, we get an episode. We will not be releasing that. This episode is going to be kind of in a mostly uncut, uncensored episode of us answering some questions from Patreon, from emails, from Twitter, just from different friends that sent us some insights asking about Season 8, Episode 3. We kind of felt like it was cheap to only do the YouTube video. So why not give you a second Season 8, Episode 3 episode? Because why we not? We are kind why benevolent not? goddesses and also... <laughs> You're probably going to be getting this episode sometime Sunday morning or or Sunday. And just to flag, if you are listening to this right now, we are doing a live stream, another live stream, right? Like later today with the Night's Cast. Yes, yes, at 5 p.m. So if you're listening to this in the morning. uh, Yes, EST, jump on. We're going to be hanging out with the Night's Cast, uh, talking about Season 8, Episode 3, Season 8, Episode 4, some predictions, our thoughts. So you might hear some of this stuff tomorrow or today, whatever day you're listening to, but check it out. For sure. And, you know, cut us a break if you are listening to this after Sunday and, like, everything we say is wrong because, you know, this is this is Game of Thrones, this is a Song of Ice and Fire, and sometimes the points don't matter, you know? <laughs> Oftentimes, the plots are made up and the story doesn't matter. Oh my so. god. Uh, what a divisive episode. In I the didn't fandom, realize right? it was uh, going to be so divisive. Like, after we watched, came out of it. that We have three more episodes. And this is, or, yeah, three more episodes. And this was divisive? Oh no. 
oh no, the timeline will be fire this week. And it's so funny because we were all like, we were all in it. We were all together after episode two. We we're like, oh yes, let's all cry together. And then after that, we're like, let's all yell at each other. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed in some ways that, uh, I don't know, I'm a little disappointed in some ways. I liked the episode in a lot of ways. Yeah. There were a lot of really positive parts of the episode that we're going to talk about today, but there were some negatives. There were definitely some oh, negatives yeah. that could have uh, could have dealt with some thematic resonance, you know? Yeah. Yeah, let's explore that more through some of these questions. So I'm going to jump into them. Yeah, our first question comes from one of our friends on Patreon, Ryan Izzat. He said, Bran seemed to make such a point about Jamie returning to Winterfell and even protected Jamie so that he didn't, you know, get executed for shoving children off of towers. It seems Jamie has to survive for a bigger purpose, but he didn't seem to play a pertinent role in the battle for Winterfell. What do you think his purpose is going forward? I mean, it feels like a lot of people didn't play a pertinent role in the Battle of Winterfell, but that doesn't mean that they didn't. Does that make sense? Like, what if Jamie stayed alive to protect Brienne? What if it was that we need every single man there to help with the fighting? We need all the strength we can get. What if it's uh, Nikolai has several episodes left? What on if his it's contract? that he has the best you know? butt and we <laughs> <laughs> think that's an important purpose? What if Brienne saw that? I really hope that his purpose is, you know, the Valonqar and doing what we know is set up in the story in the books and a little bit in the show. Um, That would be interesting, but I I just don't know that it matters, any of it, anymore. (laughs) Exactly, the points don't matter. Um, What what, what matters anymore? I don't know. Does it matter? I guess, I hope he has a bigger purpose, because otherwise that scene with Bran was silly. Uh, there's a lot of stuff like that, right? There's a lot of stuff that just feels undercut after the last episode was over, kind of cut and dry and just done. So I guess hopefully he has a big purpose in the war to come against the Lannisters in reuniting kind of the realm together and defeating evil, uh, standing up against his family and against the wrongs they've done, redeeming himself or humanizing himself, maybe. Yeah, and I wonder to an extent, like, I don't think that's something that Bran just said, for the hell of it, but I do wonder if it's something that was written in there just to justify it a little, because uh-huh. I think a big part of that scene between Bran and Jamie is their exchange where they realize they are different people now because of that incident, and while obviously Bran isn't, like, probably super pleased about it, at the same time... Bigger fish to bigger fry. Bigger fish to fry, but it also feels almost like a scene of forgiveness. Like, he has a scene of forgiveness, and we're gonna get this a little later on, uh, get to this a little later on with Theon and Bran, as we've discussed in the Theon book episodes, is very much set up as something like a godlike figure who can give that forgiveness, right? Just because of how he's been positioned in the stories of different characters, and he gives that to Jamie. Yeah, he sees the repentance and he says, You are forgiven. And I think yeah. that's a really big part of Jamie's plot. Now Jamie has that forgiveness. Now he can move on with his life. And to be fair, he did play a big role. I mean, he was under Brienne. He was slashing left and right oh, at was whites. he under Brienne? Uh, yeah, he was under <laughs> Brienne because he's a bottom bitch. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, top of Brienne. Okay, done. We all know Brienne tops Jamie. And. No, he did play a role. I mean, to say he didn't really play a pertinent role, I guess that's not fair. I guess. Yeah. Let me embody everything I've read this week on the timeline that everybody played a role. (laughs) Oh my God, Chloe. (laughs) 
I'm sorry. That's literally been the timeline, I, right? I'm I don't wrong. know. I haven't been paying attention. I'm, I'm talking about vanilla ice cream and chocolate. All right. <laughs> I think that's an important conversation that needs to be had as summer. Uh, not the not the wolf. Um, not the season within Game of Thrones, but actually in real life starts coming in. And I'm like, I got to think about all the ice cream I'm going to eat. You know, the, the shocker there that you like chocolate is that, you know, I'm a vanilla bitch. Are so you? We complete each other. You do. Yep. You're the ice to my fire or vice versa. Uh-huh. If love and hate could mate. Then we can have Neapolitan <laughs> ice creams. <laughs> Who's the strawberry? The dragon must have Alice, three Alice heads. Alice and the, the cat? My the cat. cat. Allie, yes. Allie. Alice and the cat? Our producer. <laughs> so, Jamie's going to do stuff. Maybe it's, I think his role has to specifically do with his family. Uh, that's obviously his family has pushed him to do some terrible shit in the past, and he's used that as his reasoning for doing such. You know, the things he does for love uh obviously he has to overcome those things that he has done for love mm-hmm. so i think his purpose definitely will be to aid against the lannister armies in what faction i don't know i'm not gonna say he'll kill cersei because i think Arya's gonna kill cersei with his face because i i'm chaotic evil now i chaotic evil don't even am i, I wrong i mean like i don't know like you hope so but am i <sighs> i don't even know what i hope anymore there is hope what is hope Chloe. I just feel like so much was done in this last episode that undid everything we all thought. So I don't know. I, I, I think that we will see Jamie do something. Maybe. Yeah, he's gonna do something and especially with, you know, Braun allegedly heading up there with, I don't yeah, know, a that's thing. True. Um, dude, that's a plot. That's a plot. <laughs> that's a plot. Braun matters. It's because he has a contract. Again, Jerome Flynn has a contract. Yeah, you have, have to fulfill. You have to remember, again, George wrote these books because he wanted to write a story that was unconstrained by all of the thing. What the constraints are that we're dealing with. Yeah, the constraints of like television shows. Whether And, you know, we usually interpret that as being like budget and like literally what is filmable. But apparently that's also things like a uh, contract. So... Yeah, I mean, look at the way they rode around Jerome's scene with those sex workers. they He's in King's Landing. The only important people in King's Landing are Cersei, Kyburn, the Mountain, and Euron-ish, right? And the Golden Company, I guess. And apparently but, Bronn. Yeah, and apparently Bronn. And Bronn's scene couldn't be with Lena because him and Lena Headey have beef. Uh, they dated, and I heard there was some abuse in the relationship, Oof. some crazy shit, so they would not be in a scene together. They were, Lena Headey refuses to be in a scene with Jerome Flynn. So obviously they had to write around that. So again, constraints. These are, these are things we don't see on the page in the books. Exactly. Uh, so speaking of the books and differences between the show and the books, we got a question from our good friend Warren. Quick question for one of my hosts and our other hosts, please. <laughs> Yeah, Warren knows what's up. Warren's been paying attention. As an ex-show watcher, oh, I didn't know ex-show watcher, and and strong book advocate, I'd like to ask your thoughts on how book and show Arya are different. In parentheses, Maisie is incredible, though. She is, she is like, really, really great. Um, As a massive Arya fan, I have a thought. Does anyone think they tried to have Arya from Game of Thrones imitate Eowyn from Lord of the Rings? I love Aunt Zelda. <laughs> No, uh, Warren, you're onto something there. Uh, if you know us, you know we're not very big Lord of the Rings uh, people. I haven't really read the books. I know Eliana, I don't think you have as well. I have watched the movies. They're there. I, I kind of remember them. You know, there's there's hope for us yet. It's just um, not this day. The stars haven't aligned yet. Yeah, yeah. Not, yeah today. Not, not today. Not today. So. <laughs> 
But Arya does have that kind of duality. Not only does she kind of reflect Eowyn, but she has a little bit of Arwen in her as well, right? Like Eowyn, she's the daughter of a noble house and she doesn't want to be a proper lady. She wants to carry a sword. She wants to fight with her brothers. But Arwen is the daughter of the heir's father or John's foster father. And Arya is loved by John, just like Arwen was by her brother and as a sister and a romance in Aragorn's. And so it's interesting that George originally wanted... There to be an Arya love triangle, right? With Tyrion and Jon. Uh, I think we're seeing a lot of that move around with characters from that original outline. So there's definitely some sort of resonance in Arya as an Eowyn or Arwen type character, especially with the name, right? Arya, Eowyn, Arwen. Uh, definitely something to be said there. But I would say there's a lot of differences between the book and the show. Arya in the books has a really strong sense of empathy. We see it with how she treats the small folk. Her story very much so revolves around common folk and small folk as she goes through the Riverlands. Uh, and we also see her unable to give up her identity. And the show really failed to grasp some of those inner POV moments that Arya has of her, you know, embracing her wolf identity, her wooden teeth, her dire wolf identity. Uh, they just kind of had her become an assassin. And then she suddenly got a plot again this season, which was really nice. They've been really writing her well this season. Her and Sansa both. I I can't say enough about it that they've been actually writing these characters. It's weird. Yeah, they actually have been, which I think is good. Um, yeah, I agree with what you said, that they've lost, I think, a lot of that interiority. I think that... I guess the question is how they're different. I think um, Before I get to that, I think that they are the same in... We see how Arya in the books keeps Needle... And that also happens in the show, and I do think we will see her rejoin rejoin the pack, because she does repeat those lines within her POV of, like, about how the lone wolf dies, but the pack survives, and she thinks to herself, that was wrong, I'm still here. So I do think we're going to have that sort of, a lot of ways that like growth happens in stories, right, is that someone starts out with one point of view, and then they have a different one at the end, and I think we're going to see her rejoin that pack in in the books as well. But I guess how it's different. I don't know that she necessarily clashes with Sansa so so easily when she gets back. I don't. I. This is this. They've both been like searching for each other. All they can think about is how like oh, but that was Sansa, and Sansa's dead, and I'm alone. And they both think you know like oh, it would be so sweet just to go home. They're two sides of the same coin in in different ways, and they need each other. Yeah, I'm trying to think of how it's different and i don't know if i can articulate it better than you i'm still stuck on the ways that i think it's the same like how i think some things that'll be different obviously Arya will be younger i think there'll be a lot of other parts of her journey before she gets back to westeros i don't think it'll be as quickly resolved as it was in the show i do think she will rejoin gendry i don't know if they will sleep together but i do wonder if some sort of romantic thing is something that George is going to revisit because he does say that they will probably meet each other again and says that they're both very young but we see that he's kept some sexual elements in Arya's storyline even though she's like real young she's like 11 in the Mercy yeah, chapter she's like 11, 12 yeah now. she was supposed to be older but he's kept those mm -hmm. and I do think that maybe I don't know if it's like a we, we've addressed this before but I don't know if it's a sex scene but something like that was in line so I don't know if that really answers the question that well, but... 
I think it does. I think there's a lot different, but there's also a lot similar. They have captured the essence, and unfortunately, in any adaptation, you're going to lose that translation from an internal point of view, and having characters have feelings and thoughts, you're going to lose that. It's hard to really, you know, perpetuate that in only dialogue, and as we know, Game of Thrones really tends to lack in the dialogue. That's their weak spot. Their dialogue is not the best. There are times when it's good and okay, and there are times when I'm like, what the fuck was this, but... We have another question from Lady Bird, one of our good friends and followers who was uh, hanging out with us on the live stream. So shout out to her. She wants to know, oh God, she wants to know, what do you think of Tyrion and Sansa's relationship? I heard a theory a long time ago. It would be them in charge or ruling at the end of A Song of Ice and Fire. And after last week, it's possible, especially if Jon or Danny or both die. I did a rewatch of Game of Thrones before season eight, and their relationship was quite warm when Sansa wasn't, you know, being forced to marry him or, you know, the death of her parent or her mother and brother. Sansa has a moment with Tyrion where they joke even. At the Red Wedding, he puts his hand over hers when Joffrey brings out the robbed dwarf, and Sansa helps Tyrion by picking up the wine for him. Was And she also wants to know, was their relationship warm in the books? My theory at the beginning of the season was eventually Tyrion would leave Danny's service and support Sansa, and so it would be Jon and Danny against them. I'm not sure it will come to that, but their small dialogue in the crypts keep my theory kind of alive, at least. Um. So, in the books, I feel that Sansa and Tyrion's relationship is very... It's, it's more on the cold side of lukewarm. It's not... It's not as terrible as it would be as if she were married to, like, Joffrey. But, like, the, that's setting the bar real low, okay? And it's not warm. It's not um, freezing. She's very much a child bride. Yeah, she, the thing is, she's a child bride and she hates the Lannisters. She doesn't want to be married to the Lannisters. And I think that's something that I have never gotten out of my head when it comes to her marriage to Tyrion. She his family killed her family and I understand that they are allied now but just because you have set aside your differences now doesn't erase all of the hurt that has been done in the past no matter how well I guess Tyrion treated her in comparison to the rest of the Lannisters and again that bar is real fucking low but um, I, I don't know if it means that they rule together or not like I think that would this is a personal opinion feel more bitter than bittersweet to me mm-hmm. but yeah, I think having them paired up together ruling, it is bitter than bittersweet. It uh, it, it removes Sansa's agency. I think very much one of the biggest themes in the books is that, you know, Sansa needs to regain that agency. She has been abused. She has been forced to marry killers of her family. She has had all this down, down, down. And by the end of The Winds of Winter, we're going to see a lot of our heroes actually have some ups for once, right? We're going to see, like, all of a sudden, like, Sansa's coming home. Arya's coming home. Our heroes have okay things happening. Danny returns to Dragonstone, maybe, just like in the show. Uh, I think we're going to see our heroes finally have some ups. And for Sansa, Tyrion as her husband isn't really an up. I, I think it's interesting what they did with the crypts and what they did before it, uh, when Sansa kind of gave that bitter, almost Cersei-like discussion with him where she says our marriage would never have lasted and you can't just use your wits right now we can't do shit down here and that's why we're down here and while i don't know if i love that for sansa's characterization i would have loved her to be able to uh maybe inspire some loyalty and like just inspire some just some comfort to her people down there in the crypts that were scared i feel like that's something sansa would have done a little more of yeah um but I'm highly of this opinion, if you've been listening the last couple episodes, that 
I think Tyrion is going to have some betraying to do. Uh, It's gotten a little added to even. We don't see the end of his Cersei scene. All we know is that Cersei told him she's prego, and now she has something worth fighting for, which is exactly what he discusses with Jaime in the yard at Winterfell in the last couple episodes, uh, that Cersei, you know, has something to fight for. And it almost seems like he's hopeful that maybe she'll change. And the same way as in episode one, he says, Cersei's bringing her armies. In episode two, Jaime shows up and says, no, she's not, LOL. And everyone's like, dumbass. Um, And the biggest thing that stuck out to me was when he was in the crypts and he was complaining about how he was the hero of Blackwater and he could be doing things and you, you'd you be surprised. The whole the whole time, him being in the crypts felt like a punishment to him from Danny, in my opinion. Like, she was putting him there and he sat there bitterly saying, well, I could have helped. You know, I've done great things. And we also get that moment with him and Bran where they obviously have some sort of discussion or talk or look. And it trails off and you get nothing. So I'm wondering if there isn't some sort of card they want to pull on us here. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be him betraying Danny or him betraying, like, I don't know who. Like, in the books, I do think he makes a play for Winterfell. I've said that before. And, mm. like, through Sansa, and I don't think that their relationship is as warm there, In again, in the books. Especially because Tyrion's so different in the books. He's a very, uh, he's a much more malevolent character, alright? He's trying to be like we should have poisoned all the wells and killed everyone in marine i'm like oh okay that's a take and he's just such a different character in the show and uh like in the books you can see how much george is inspired by richard the third uh in the shakespearean play uh and he's said it explicitly at balticon and i think if you watch richard the third uh Basically, you know, I'm used to these books and this show, but when I was watching that play, I was like, when are the people going to stop dying? People are just dying all the time. I was like, oh, fuck, that person died too. And part of this is my lack, I guess, of knowledge of history, whatever. But, um, yeah. I mean, in the books, he's whispering in Danny's ear. He's probably end up doing, you know, like he's going to end up meeting Danny and telling her, this is what you should do. This is how you should do it. Uh, and he's already whispered in Aegon's ear, right? We we see that in the books that Aegon, yeah. fake Aegon, Blackfire, whichever you want to call him, we've seen him whispering in his ear and starting this next dance of the dragons almost, you know, like saying, your aunt will never accept you. You better just go take it. Yeah. She's not gonna, you know, she's already fought for her life. Why would she accept you, little egg? Um, yeah. So I'm curious if he's going to be a proponent right now to kind of come between Danny and John and stir that shit up, especially because I think that he really wants to be accepted by his family and he's never been accepted by them, Mm -hmm. you know, and he just can't, it's so like effed up abusive that he, he wants them to love him, but he also despises them for never loving him. Yeah. But it's, it's so different though, because like, yes, I understand that that's a character motivation there, but it's less strong in the show because he still has Jamie. Whereas in the books, he's completely cut off from the rest of them because of the reveal of Taisha, which very much isolates him from Jamie. That's that's a huge betrayal to him, he feels, from Jamie. And I think that, that that desire for love is still there, but it's just less um it nags you less because he does have Jamie. Well, Lady Bird gave us lots of questions, not just now, we have some later too, but next question is, do you think there will be a Night King-type figure in the books? It's 
So we talked about this a little bit in our live stream. We had somebody here to say it a lot more eloquent. Poor Quentin joined us. But I think the biggest character that is anything similar to what the Night King could be with that chaotic, like, need thing of death and bringing that harbinger of death is definitely Euron. Uh, if you have read the Winds of Winter chapter, The Forsaken, you can see that Euron is up to some dastardly black magic shit. Uh, sacrifices and all this craziness and I mean he's definitely the person that could bring down the wall in the books not the Night King uh-huh. uh, he's interested in stealing a dragon he, he's been to a Cheyenne back you know uh, just all these different little things he has Valyrian armor I think he is the closest thing to the Night King that we're going to see in the books that's it I agree yeah. I agree with everything that you've said <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're a great wife. Yep, I'm very supportive, and um, I'm here to stand behind you. So, good, good. next question from Lady Bird is, what do you think Cersei has planned after Kyburn tells Bronn? She has something else planned for the Dragon Queen. It really got me thinking of her possible plans. Recently reading Fire and Blood gave me the idea that she could send the Golden Company to Dragonstone to lay an ambush for Danny when her army returns. This would be similar to what Aegon II does to Rhaenyra. Dragonstone is Danny's base of operations, mm. or was, and it's logical that she'd return there to get ready to attack. Before last week, I thought survivors might be fleeing from the army of the dead to the island, but guess what? <laughs> oh, no, so, sorry, but guess that threat is done. Yep, apparently. Lol. I know, and Lady Bird does say, I still can't believe that's over! There's gotta be more to this! I, I dare D&D to surprise us. I don't know, I don't think they'll surprise us. A lot of people keep saying, well, what if the Night King isn't over, and because he touched Bran, and blah blah blah, it's over. I'm just like, I just want everyone to know, it's over. I think over. it's over. It's I think it's over, and I'm like, alright. Well, that, ha- that, that happened. Cool. Yeah. It's been uh, It's been a good few years, everyone. Good, good times. I like that idea with the Dance of the Dragons, with that, uh, yeah. what Aegon does to Rhaenyra, that he, you know, waits for and lays an ambush. I could see that happening, especially with their army so depleted. That's the biggest issue here is uh, this this long night was obviously kind of long and not really long. It was just kind of long. And it depleted their armies. It killed off most of her Dothraki. It killed off most of her Unsullied, uh, which, by the way, rewatching that episode, I finally had time after Ice and Fire Con to rewatch this episode. That's why I'm so gung-ho about this uh, doing this episode tonight. But I watched that episode, and it was really sad. The Unsullied. Watching Grey yeah. Worm open the trench when he, that look on his face, and he just has to leave his men. Yeah. Oh, that was heartbreaking. When he just, like, finally did it, and he, like, pulled the thing, and the trench goes up. My heart hurt. That was, that was, that hurt. That was sucked. <laughs> that sucked bad. He just, like, you watch them all. You watch the whites yeah. climbing over them and just devouring them down. And that was it. There goes Danny's armies. She's depleted. They're gone. Really easy way to defeat all the brown people, I guess. Thanks, D and D. But yeah. I have, I have, yeah. I have questions. I got problems, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, me too. And we'll never yeah. get any sort of uh, any sort of reprieve of those questions or those problems. Nope, th- so that moving is not, on. <laughs> that is not a thing that will be addressed. And nope, nope, nope sure won't. Nope. Never. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I do really think this is an interesting idea, and along with how Lady Bird raises the question of, yeah, she has the Golden Company. Like, at the moment, Daenerys also does not have a navy because the navy is tied to them through the Greyjoys, but Yara, lol, Yara, is over on the Iron Islands retaking them from Euron on the other side of the country, nation, of the kingdom, uh, from where Euron's forces are. 
Yeah, I, I I think the Golden Company is probably that ambush might happen. I mean, we know they go to Dragonstone. We've seen in the previews that image of Danny and John. That very first trailer we actually got for season eight, we see Danny and John speaking in Dragonstone in front of that fireplace. Uh, it's the same fireplace we've seen them have conversations at before at Dragonstone. So we know they go to Dragonstone probably at the end of the next episode or in the mid-end. Uh, these next three episodes are long. They're all going to be long. All, all of them are going to be the long night. So I feel like we're going to have a lot of time to regroup. I think next episode is going to be a lot of a uh, regroup, deal with the dead, be sad. And then they go to Dragonstone at the end. So an ambush could happen. It's not out of the question. It is not out of the question. I, I think it's an interesting idea. It's anyone's game. Of Thrones. Thrones. God damn it. All right. I'm just too predictable. All right. Next, we have a question from Marlena Morris, a.k.a. at XCaliforniaGirl on Twitter. No I in girl. And says, if the White Walkers are really gone, what was the point of Mel, Stannis, Shireen, Renly, Shadow Assassin, resurrecting Jon Snow, Quaithe, Bran, the reads on the show, makes Cersei look like the smartest woman in the room when she's not? Or is she? Feels like the Night King was done dirty. I have no response to this question. I'm just going to stare into the camera and we can move on. Yeah, I mean, I I guess there there are, uh, so should I not give an answer at all? There are people who say that uh, a lot of it was, I guess, about uniting forces in order to fight the larger threat, which, like, I guess that's that's, um, an explanation. It just, uh... (sighs) Doesn't feel satisfying. It doesn't feel narratively, I think equivalent i don't know i i understand this the question that marlena morris is asking and i am going to acknowledge the question and say (laughs) yeah that's that's all that's all we can do yes that is that is a question and i agree with that question and i would like answers there's obviously like reasons for it that don't have to do with this endgame, right? Like, the entire Stannis and Melisandre, etc. plot, all of these are explorations of power between Stannis, right, and Shireen, and what someone is willing to do in order to gain the throne, if they're pursuing what they think is a higher calling. These are all explorations of that in and of itself. I yeah, think- it's an exploration of the many facets of the Game of Thrones, I suppose. Yeah. And obviously, we're never going to get what we want from the book to show. It's just, yeah. there's no time. I, I get it. I get that. I it's an adaptation. It. Yeah. But but it is hard because there's all this buildup and there's just so much. And actually, Steph Bell, one of our patrons, did just say uh, she wants to know, what was Bran doing? You know, like, and also, what the fuck does the princess that was promised mean now or the prince? Uh, I feel like there was a lot of stuff that got retconned. Just for a snazzy moment, and while I loved Arya having her moment, and I did like the episode, I liked enough of it, I liked 75% of it, I would say, it, it just felt like there was a lot undone, and a lot of buildup was undone for shock value? Um, you can try to justify it and give me all your opinions, that's fine, whatever, but I'm just not going to agree, I just felt empty, it didn't feel thematically resonant to me by the end of it, it felt like all this buildup was for nothing. I'm glad you have a catchphrase now thematic resonance yeah, yeah I'm happy absolutely. for you i'm gonna see every time i say thematic resonance everyone should drink i'm happy you have this now um <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> um I, i'm gonna point back to my previous answer where you know people have been talking about how a lot of the prophecies are about different people that come together uh, i remember on our live stream as was saying that 
all of these prophecies might have been different people. They all came together to each play a role in helping to defeat the existential threat. Um, Did they, though? Did they each play a role? In their own special way, every single person out there played mm. played a role. Whether, you know, Baker... Again, I don't know why I keep quoting this nowadays. Again, I don't even like Stan as much. Great or small. Yeah, I don't even like Stan as much, but I keep fucking quoting him. Yeah, great or small, we must all do our duty. And that is how it, I guess, not at all of it was a duty, but people were fucking out there and they were doing their thing. And I... I good for them, I guess. And, uh... Yeah. I got questions, you know, Steph Bell, just like you. I liked enough of the episode. I'm not super upset like a lot of people, but still have questions. I think I'm also, like, at the phase of, you know, the... what What is it called? The whatever cycle, you know, dabda, denial, anger, yeah. bargaining, uh, depression, and acceptance. I think I'm at the acceptance phase. I'm just like, this is what it is. The rewatch really helped. Uh, I think we both watched it on a big projector screen with a hundred other nerds at Ice and FireCon, which yeah. was a blast. I highly recommend coming to Ice and FireCon if you haven't. But uh, it was fun. But I also, maybe it was the energy of the room. Uh, yeah. When it all happened, I just sat there and I, it was all a little anticlimactic and it was over. I was like, what? Um, it, it just leaves so many questions that I know we're never going to get the answer to. Yeah... And we shouldn't have to ask those questions. Some source, like I get it when you don't have the main source material. I get it when you don't have a lot of time. But there are some questions from this episode that we shouldn't have to answer or ask, even you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Know. Uh, <laughs> it, it, uh, next question. You know yeah. the uh, you know that gif of the guy that's like free real estate. No, you've never seen no. that. No, will you send it well, to me? Well, I made. I'll send it to you. But there's a better edit, and it's just him going. It's bad writing. <laughs> so we did get a question from one of our guys, Johnny Guerrero. Much love to you, my man. Here's his question. With so much emphasis on prophecies not being fulfilled in the last episode, what are your thoughts on prophecies within the series? Do you think viewers are misguided, like char- characters like Melisandre and Cersei? How often are they misinterpreted or self-fulfilled and none really playing out like they would think? Uh, there's plenty to nitpick about. I didn't think Azora High was one of them. I thought the difference in characters who believe things are out of their control and submit to higher power versus characters who refuse to believe they don't have agency. John and Danny was a major part of A Song of Ice and Fire in Game of Thrones, something that mirrored the real world. Yeah, so regarding prophecies in the show, I think it's different from prophecies in the book. I'm going to give a shout out to a guy I used to sleep with. Sup, Trevor? I don't think you actually listened to this, but you uh, raised... That is some big dick energy. I'm out of here. Holy shit. I'm out of here. He uh, messaged me and was like, um, <laughs> so... And he basically said that he doesn't think D&D like magic because it seems that a lot of the things that were in the show that were cut out and he said that things that have been omitted were things like the non-brand stirk working or lady stoneheart makaro and the horn and then goes not to mention the potentially dope lovecraftian shit with regard to euron there and most importantly hand-waved brand training with a three-eyed raven uh and he's like there are more but those were and my response is i think that this is all true, and I think it has a lot to do with I. Uh, not to be a huge show hater, but I'm gonna like say it. I don't think that the way that the show goes and the showrunners, the producers themselves, like very understand the. Like I don't think David and Dan understand the idea that magic can be a vehicle for deepening plot and character. Mm-hmm. 
and and uh, growth. growth, narrative, etc., uh, and not just be used for oh shit moments. Does that make sense? Not that it's not yeah. just like badass moments, but the way that prophecy operates in the series, especially how you see it with Cersei's character, is it shows you like similar to the way prophecy is working, like some of Stannis' stuff, like especially because he's drawn so much like a Macbeth like character, um, and. Like, the prophecies are self-fulfilling because the characters fixate on them, and it drives them, and then it becomes a part of them, and then they it, it comes true because of who they are, not because of magic. Yeah, that's the thing, is, like, there is no Azora High in the show. People that are trying to fit Arya to this Azora High mythos, that's fine, but it's not in the show. They straight up said in the after thing, which you should never listen to. If you care about this series, about this show, never listen to David and Dan after the show because it will just ruin your life. They thought of this at the start of season seven. They retconned it. They also don't know that Sam is a POV. So. Yeah. They literally do not. They, they I'm not trying to shit on them, but like they don't know what they're doing with a lot of these characters. They're just hoping for the best. And Azora High isn't a thing in the show. They talked about the prince or princess that was promised, but at the beginning of season seven, they decided Arya should kill the Night King, and that's fine. And it does work. It really does work with all of her training and, you know, being silent as a shadow and fierce as a wolverine. And it, it works, but they didn't build it up to work. And that's my problem with it. It's not about Azora High for her, it's about that she was trained and she was the one that could do it. But they use magic as a shock value moment, and they don't use magic properly. Stannis, like you said, Stannis's plot wasn't about the magic. It was about power. It was about his power and him not being able to wield it properly and him not succeeding in wielding it. Um, I, I don't think the prophecies in the show matter. You look at Maggie the Frog's prophecy to Cersei, and in the book, Cersei fixates on this. This is what drives Cersei into her deep paranoia that every single time one of her children mm-hmm. dies... The prophecy becomes worse and worse. She She's so embedded in this paranoia that Tyrion is coming to kill her, which is why when Jaime kills her, which is what I think will happen, I think a lot of people are on that boat, if Jaime kills her in the books, it makes sense because she was never looking for that. She never thought Jaime, of all people, her younger brother, younger twin brother, would betray her. You know? Yeah, and like, just because, you know, Cersei is the one that, that is called out in this question, like the, this question of, how often they're misinterpreted or self-fulfilled. Like, people take them literally because some of them are little. Like, Cersei's prophecies of how many kids the fucking king has and how many kings kids she has. Those are literal. But those are born of who she is. Like, for example, if you're familiar with the story of Oedipus Rex, the prophecy is important, but the prophecy is the catalyst that leads to everything else in the story happening. The prophecy says that Oedipus will kill his father and marry his mother in an attempt to prevent that from happening. The king does the exact thing that leads to Oedipus being uh, growing up far away from him and leads to the entire series of events happening and this whole downfall occurring. Like, that's that's the whole thing. And I think that this sort of dramatic maybe like reconciliation, this sort of dramatic tying together is when it comes to prophecy and it being a sword without a hilt is just not important in the show. Yeah, they haven't made it important and it's not important. And I think that's the big deal. I think everybody that's trying to push this, oh, so Arya's Azor High thing, 
it's obviously going to be different in the book. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that Arya's not going to kill a lot of others in the book. I mean, that is, you know, like, dark heart. Of course she is. She's the dark sister. She's going to be out there with a Valyrian sword fucking shit up in the books. Uh, maybe, you know, like, she will take out a huge amount of them. But as it's been said, the Night King is not a character in the books. He doesn't exist. The Night's King existed a very long time ago. But there is no Night King. It's not a thing. So... Uh, to say, like, oh, this is something in the books, blah, blah, blah. It's just not a thing. It's not. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. The prophecies, I guess, just don't matter. Uh, Johnny also asked if we thought the episode would have been better if John made it to the Night King and defeated him in a duel. And he says, isn't that the most obvious trope of the genre, something that's not very George? I, d- I don't agree with that. Uh, I-, I don't think it would have been better. I really don't. I- of all the times that John has faced off against the Night King, no, it... it- it's fine that he doesn't kill the Night King. Um, I'm fine with Arya doing it in general now that I think about it. Like the second rewatch, I was like, all right. But it is built up that he's supposed to do it. It is built up that Danny and John are the Song of Ice and Fire that are supposed to end the long night. And my problem really comes with John didn't do that much in this episode. He flew around on a dragon. He uh, came down and he did battle a handful of uh, white of whites. And, you know, he... He did his uh, part in the war, but he just didn't do anything. My, I wouldn't have a problem with this episode if everybody had a part to play. It didn't feel that way. Uh, I'm going to be real. I, was, I wouldn't have been surprised if like John fucking died to the blue dragon. I've been like, lol. But <laughs> I don't even know if it's built up that it should have been John, right? Because I understand that. Bran feels that is he's helpless, but I think in many ways it is built up that Bran, especially because we see it going that way with Euron in the books, Euron having been like a fallen student of Bloodraven, and I've said this before, and I will say it again, my insightful commentary that the Bran, Bloodraven, Euron dynamic is like in Kung Fu Panda, the <laughs> Po Shifu, Tai Lung, dynamic. Yes, and, I'm following. Yes, and obviously Bran is Poe, okay, <laughs> and Shifu is is Blood Raven. Like I don't even need to explain this. Tai Lung is is a uh, is a Euron, right? The fallen, the fallen student, and yes. again. Night King, not in the books, but probably a corollary to Euron. So it seems like it would have made sense to me if it had to go away yeah. that it wasn't John, for it to maybe be Bran, and they fight on the and, astral plane or some shit. And I, I totally no, I agree. We uh we discussed this with poor Quentin during the live stream, you know, because that's one of his big pet theories that he's made that you know Danny is going to fry Euron with her dragons while Bran fries him mentally. And that's something that I would have really liked to see was Bran in his skin changing and warging in this episode into those ravens. I would have liked to see him in my head bringing down Viserion or helping to do that. I think that would have at least been, I don't know, compelling. Uh, It would have given him something to do because him into the ravens was, it wasn't satisfactory to me. It didn't satisfy me that Bran just, I don't know, went into some ravens. Etc. I get it. Whatever. It it just undercuts all the feeling. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, dude. Yeah. Brandon, Brandon the Night King obviously had beef in the show. I mean, the Night King was literally coming to Bran in the Godswood. I mean, the Night King was literally coming to kill Bran. And Bran gave that throwaway line in episode two, which I really love that he said, 
the Night King wants to to take and erase knowledge. I thought I was like, ooh, okay, we're getting some Night King like stuff. We're going to learn. And I think my biggest fear of all of this is that they didn't give us any motivation of the Night King in the end. And they just killed him off and the long night's over because they want to save it for their long night show. That's what I think is happening here. I think we got a lot of shit removed. A lot of information was removed and they made it happen in one long-ish night. Because that's it. They're going to do a whole show about it, so they can't give away their cards yeah, yet. Because the show is actually it's the long disappointing. night. Yeah, it, it's really disappointing that we're going to now go to a show, watch the long night all over again when we just built up for eight seasons about the long night. Uh, it just pisses me off. I'm like, really? Y'all withholding? Is that what you're doing? Because that doesn't make me happy. And I get it. It's a cash cow. Game of Thrones is a cash cow, and they got to keep it going, but... It doesn't make me feel good about the future of this uh, the spinoffs. It doesn't, and I I think that I will probably like enjoy the spinoffs for what they are. But I think yeah. that part of what I like about A Song of Ice and Fire, and pff, granted, I know we have like the World Book and Fire and Blood and stuff, but it doesn't give <laughs> us all of that information. Like, I like that ambiguity, and I like that we get to learn things as it becomes uncovered, right? The uncovering of the story and realizing that, hey, this maybe the story didn't exactly go like that is very much a part of A Song of Ice and Fire. And you start getting that and, and seeing that, hey, maybe the story isn't what you thought. First, it, I think Rhaegar is the best example of that. And, and that mm-hmm. Rhaegar sort of um, recipe applies to the rest of the way legends and stories are in the stories because like we begin the story with Robert saying that Rhaegar abducted and raped Lyanna and like maybe did maybe didn't but as you hear the story of the Night of the Laughing Tree you begin to deepen it and like realize hey things are a little different like things start to um come into more clarity and I think that's something that we will probably get more about the others and therefore I was not I I, I like the idea of the show of the long night I'm all but also at the same time I'm like I don't I'm I would have been very satisfied with us getting resolution to all of these things and not knowing exactly what happened 10,000 years ago. Well, through. that's the thing is, they're giving yeah. us the long night, which is like the show version of the world of ice and fire. But they're giving us all the answers in this when this this series, Game of Thrones, is supposed to cover the main series, which is supposed to give us these answers, these big questions that George teases in these smaller books, the world of ice and fire, right? Uh, You're hearing about all these things that are meant to enrich the main plot. So the Long Night should enrich Game of Thrones, right? I mean, that's not the name of it. George keeps saying, I'm not allowed to call it that. And we're like, I'll see there, but we're still doing it. So this show about the Age of Heroes-y Long Night shit, that's supposed to enrich the main show in my mind because that's what George does with these novels, these side novels, but they're treating it completely the opposite. And Maybe that's my issue. They're treating... Game of Thrones, like, oh, but guess what? If you listen to our next episode we're going to put out from The Long Night with the successor show, you'll learn more about the others. Mm, We waited eight seasons to learn more about the others. There's no payoff. Yeah, I think we should call it um, Game of Thrones First Class. (laughs) Yeah, X-Men First Class, Game of Thrones First Class, absolutely. Yeah, because, I mean, same showrunner, etc. Anyways, (sighs) I'm going to move on. Yes, good idea. And that brings us to another question from one of our patrons, Craig Mulvey. He wants us to do some role-playing. Are you ready to do some role-playing? Let's do some role-playing. I'm ready, I'm ready. All right, all right. Uh, Are you going to be the D&D master here, the dungeon master? I will be our dungeon master. Okay. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, so your red shirt that somehow survived 
You've okay. been through hell to fight for humans' ability to exist. So yes, what's next? The Dragon Queen is going to come ask you to turn right back around and fight Cersei. What the fuck? <laughs> uh, Craig goes on to say, Are you kidding? I survived this horrific fight and I'm supposed to turn around and risk my life fighting living, breathing humans? Yeah, bitch, I would stay in my keep. I'd be like, there's no more others. I'm gonna stay here. I'm gonna eat some, uh, some bowl of brown, right? Yeah. I'm not going anywhere. What the fuck? Which, okay, so here's where Danny's sacrificing for the North and her fighting in the last episode and losing Jorah and losing all of her armies. That's where this comes in. I get it. I get it. I get what they're going for. They, uh, Danny proved herself to the North, right? She fought. She fought, quote she unquote, lost. John's war. Yes, she fought John's war. Uh, even though, you know, if she didn't fight, they would have just come south and killed everyone else. I, yeah, I was very confused about that wording, too, but I, th- I assume it was an intentional characterization choice. Yeah, well, I guess that's all you we know, can assume these days. We can assume things, I guess. <laughs> that's all we have. Yeah, it's uh, not the best, but I think, uh, especially from the previews for the next episode, we see, you know, Danny toasting the North and talking about how we're going to fight, you know, now that the Great War is done, now we have to fight the Final War. Uh, I think they'll follow her now because they've seen her sacrifice for the North. They've seen her lose her commanders, her armies. So I guess that's just what it is. Yeah, I, I guess I did. A, I'm the dungeon master, so I don't gotta fucking role play shit. <laughs> 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 All right. So next question, Elise Shopper. Elise asks, "Oh, you know I'm about to go off. I'm so excited mm. about this. This is my mm-hmm. shit. Mm-hmm. You know this is my mm-hmm. shit. It's, uh, our, it's our baby boy." <laughs> It's our baby boy, our baby, uh, our paralarva. Our baby. Yeah, our paralarva. Yep, yep, yep. Elise asks, do you think Theon's death was a fitting end? It seemed like lazy writing to just have him charge the Night's King. I do think it was a fitting end. Same. Uh, even the charging. Uh, I get what you mean by lazy writing. I think that there's a lot of lazy writing elsewhere we can complain about that led us to this moment. So I don't know if I would say this exact moment was lazy. I think that his death was perfectly fitting. He finally gets to protect the brother that he told everyone he burned. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets to redeem himself for burning down Winterfell, and he gets to go out not only as a Stark, which is how he went out. Bran told him, you know, you're a good man, Theon, thank you. Uh, he was home. He was home in Winterfell in the Godswood with his family, with Bran. And not only that, but he got to go out charging the Night King, dying like an ironborn, paying the iron price. Uh, he was going to die anyways. You know, that's kind of the problem here, like, no matter what. So I'll give him that, that at least he got to go out with a spear in his hand, a sword in his hand. He got to go out as Theon, not Reek. And that's very much what he wanted, as we see in his, the, his chapters. He's like, I want to die feeling like a man. Not that manhood is uh, determined by your ability to fight or anything. But that's something that we see in his chapters, that this is something that he wants. And I think that it fulfills that for him and i also think um it has i some maybe some thematic resonance am i doing this right <laughs> take a drink take a drink <laughs> with other go. things that happened in the books like we just had joe magician on for our john 8 chapter in a game of thrones and he has written some really great awesome essays called killing of a ranger part two came out recently and talking about like uh, Waymar Royce in the prologue. And I think, uh, I believe he says that he saw the Night King in the show, maybe going out, you know, that, that there would be some parallels with Waymar Royce. And I think you can see that with the way Theon takes that stand against the Night King. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't know if it'll be exactly the same in the books. However, I see a lot of that plot of Theon dying in the Godswood guarding Bran. I could see that happening. Absolutely. I, I wouldn't be surprised if this was pulled straight from the books, if that yeah. was endgame for Theon Greyjoy. Him going out, and of course, the biggest thing there that's thematic is him dying and his blood seeping out into the Godswood. Mm. You know, he's in the Godswood where he falls to his knees and he cries, and all of a sudden he feels, you know, the Godswood, the, the heart tree saying to him, Theon, and it's Bran. Yeah. Bran watching him through the godswood. Bran has been there watching Theon's arc in A Dance of Dragons for so long now that it felt right. It felt right that that's what he did. He died, and part of him lives on now in the godswood with the old gods. You know, Theon is a part of the old gods now, and he's a part of Winterfell forever. Yeah, and was I sobbing when it happened? Maybe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was a dumb bitch during this. Yeah. I was just, Ugh! You're, you're, <laughs> there were a lot of, I think, uh, emotional changes for people in the room. Like, I like how we were sobbing at this moment. And then, like, at the end of the episode, you were just like, what the fuck did I just watch? Like, your and face. And that's really was, probably why I felt that way, yeah. you know? Like, that, it was so emotional. Yeah. But the other big problem is, like, I also didn't feel emotional. And then Jorah died. And you were sad for Danny, But I just couldn't feel anything because I was like, what? What just happened? <laughs> I just said for Danny, like, she's just alone now, okay? I know, and I want to be sad for her, but I just didn't feel we were just like second fuck- watch. I was like, yeah. the problem is like, fuck It was Jorah. sad, but it wasn't that sad. It wasn't Theon sad. That was sad. That was fucking me up, fam. That was like, oh, Theon's dead. So I don't know. Yeah. I think it was a good death. I think it was the best death they could have given Theon. I don't think you should expect a better death from David and Dan for Theon. You know? Yeah, that was good. It was fine. Yeah, it was probably one of the better parts of the episode, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree. So next, we have a question from Jesse Wright, who asks, "Do you think Ghost is cool with the Rhaegal situation?" Hell no. <laughs> uh, this dragon comes up in Ghost's house. Yeah, he comes up in Ghost's house, and his dad straight up just like gets on him like that. Like, okay, okay, maybe. Who's been there? Who's been there since oh the my first God. episode? Ghost. Ghost has been there since the first-ish episode. Sure, he doesn't show up that much else other than, like, the first handful of seasons because, you know, they forgot about him or he was in the kennel. Sometimes you go on a vacation to go bang out your new girlfriend in Dragonstone and you gotta send your dog to the kennel. Man, that's that's real life, yeah. I guess. I mean, <sighs> Ghost, I, I think maybe they would get along if they just had them sit together. You know, they're, I don't know, but the thing is I don't think dragons are pack animals. I'm gonna no. say this crazy thing that I heard. It's very different actually, but I'm gonna throw it out there because it, it's still about pets and animals. I have a colleague who's about to give birth and someone owns cats and apparently what you're supposed to do is like you take the blanket from the baby, right? As soon as it's born or something, and someone has to go home and they gotta rub take said blanket, rub it all over the cat so that they get used to the baby's yep. scent. And I don't know, maybe that's what we gotta do with either ghost or Rhaegal. We take a blanket, wrapped up in either ghost or Rhaegal, and take it to other pet and wrap them and like rub them all over with a towel. You know, they really straight up they straight up are trying to pretend that Ghost wasn't missing for like two whole seasons, and I think that's the funniest bullshit I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, he ghosted, and now he's back. <laughs> we did get another uh, question from Lady Bird, and it's a rant, and I think it's worth reading. I do. Uh, I think I'm going to. I'll read it, because it's a lot of what we've said, too, and good for you, Lady Bird. I understand. I totally understand. She says, this is probably nothing you haven't heard this past week, but I have to rant to someone. That's us. We're the someone. Oh. To me, the show has suffered from bad writing since season two. Slowly mm-hmm. at first, blatantly obvious in season five. I'll give you that. 
Uh, the past episode's flaws don't surprise me in the least, but I still feel frustrated. My biggest gripe is not that Arya was the one to kill the Night King. It does make sense. It's what she's been training for. Totally agreed. But at the end of season seven, we watched in horror as the Night's King raises a dead dragon and uses it to take down the wall. I think we were prepared to see him lay waste to Westeros with this undead dragon for most of the season. What they give us is one battle episode in which Night King and Dragon only appear briefly in and are taken out shortly. That's it? Where's the dread? The horror? I expected many of the big characters to die and the rest to flee out an overrun Winterfell. I thought they'd continue to try to battle and one by one be taken out, and either Danny or Jon sacrificing themselves and the dragons, and Arya could have somehow gotten through and kill him and take him out once for all. They compressed all that into one shorter night. It makes no sense. I agree. I do agree with that. It uh, it was built up and then it was over. But how Lady Bird does say, I'm done being negative, though. Looking past the flaws, episode was great. It was amazing to watch. Absolutely. Third viewing was still tense, even though I knew what happens. The music and those visuals were amazing. Seeing Drogon covered in ice zombies was the most amazing, horrific sight I'd ever seen on TV. It was the ultimate picture of horror fantasy. I really hope we get a book announcement this year. I think we all need it. Yeah, for sure. Totally. Yeah. And that's... <laughs> I think that's a lot of what these fans, uh, what all of us fans feel like right now. Uh, it was just a lot of build up for one night. I don't like that. I wish there was longer. It is what it is, I guess. And honestly, this was one of the most amazing productions ever. I will give it that. I was on the edge of my seat the whole entire time. I was like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Uh, after a second rewatch, I really appreciate it. I mean, they took 55 days to build this and everyone was exhausted and they were filming Nights on nights on nights, and it was very beautifully done. It was uh, that dance of the dragons. Oh my god, that was great to see. Even if it's not what we really wanted, uh, it was beautiful to see those dragons in the sky just clashing together. I think that the dragon fire in the field was amazing. There was a lot of really beautiful stuff. It was really eloquent. The music was great. Uh, it was just really well done. I just don't agree, obviously, with the choice of it ending so fast, but I understand. I think the problem, okay, now now that I'm going to actually like sit and think about this for like a hot second, this is the issue with us not having a 10 episode season, right? Because it, it does all get condensed mm -hmm. out into one episode and everything happens so fast, like where that, and A Song of Ice and Fire has multiple narratives going on, and We've been building up the others and the whites for such a long time. And I agree, like, there's horror in some of these things, but we don't get, I think, the actual ramifications of that horror. Like, the ice dragon, the, not ice, the undead dragon is used only to take down the wall, which is great, but it feels like it's underutilized, right? Like, if, if we had more episodes you get to space out that horror we needed more things that were kind of like mini hard homes leading up to the big battle to create more of that sense of loss i think and that sense of dread we already kind of had it mm -hmm. but we needed to feel like this really was like the heroes like at their last six we needed to feel like oh there are old men going out there in the winter because it's so bad and killing themselves and like being like oh shit that was a bad idea you know and yeah, and there was someone else. Who was it? Who was it? They were responding to poor Quentin and and to you, maybe? And they were saying that Arya killing the Night King makes sense for Arya's story, but it doesn't make sense for the Night King's story. Yeah, And I think that absolutely. was a good way to, to phrase, I think, some of that uh, incongruence that people felt when watching the episode. And I think that's a fair fair critique, and I think that, I don't know. 
it's, yeah, to have a villain, you have to have that villain make sense as well. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't have to talk. That's fine. Yeah. I'm not asking for him to suddenly have a soliloquy of why he's a villain and give us a villain monologue. But you do have to have it make sense for him as well. And it's hard when people like Bran and John have been so built up with the Night King and Arya just returned home last season and showed up. Yeah. And I mean, like, going back to the thing where I think a longer season would have helped, like, a lot of the way that dramatic structure works like in terms of act you know you have the exposition you got the rising action you got the climax where shit turns and then you got the falling action which actually isn't about like the action becoming less but it's where the two sides clash right and one Mm -hmm. one side pulls forward the other side pulls forward the next the other one does and we didn't get if we were gonna have like them win against the the others and i think a few times we've kind of had them suffer losses like in hard home but hard home was like fucking two seasons ago all right, yeah. and like Danny lost one of her dragons, but the hero still escaped, and I think that we're supposed to feel it that way. But that, for the audience, feels like it was two years ago. You needed something this season that felt like the side again of the others and the White Walkers really, really advancing, and that tension just wasn't there. You need to feel that build up. You need, you know, uh, you want to be worried that your heroes aren't going to survive, right? Mm-hmm. Like for us. Watching this, the stakes were just gone. Yeah. Where were the stakes? They they won against the Night King, the biggest the biggest problem in all of it. And uh, it just didn't feel right. It felt like they should have lost and retreated and there should have been one final stand. You have to have that moment of like, oh no, our heroes, what are they going to do? Yeah. And now Cersei, Cersei is the problem. That's what's weird. Because Cersei, as we know in the books, I mean, I think the biggest thing right now is she is taking a lot of Aegon's plot from the books, yeah. but- Cersei is incompetent as hell. She's paranoid. Everything she's doing is undoing her own work. And she doesn't even realize it yet. She's completely incompetent. And to have her be the big bad is almost a slap in the face. Because you know the only reason Cersei's still alive is because Lena Headey is one of the best actors on the entire show. Send tweet. And I mean, I'm fine with the existential like larger threat ending before they turn to the rest of the seven kingdoms and i've and i Mm -hmm. said that immediately after the episode i said that in our live stream that like i think that makes sense to me that they're saying that the bigger threat is you know it's inside all of us because people deep down are terrible etc and like that's that's something that they're addressing but to have it be led by cersei that's an interesting take (laughs) i yeah if it but the problem is, you know, the Night King is now Euron. But, like, if, if it were crazy, like, fucked up, forsaken Euron, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense to yeah, me. Yeah, I'd be Like, that, that is very much about how the heart is desperately wicked. Yeah, and, like, having Euron, having Book Euron, who's psycho and, like, raising krakens from the sea and just, like, murderous and yeah. tying bitches to the prow of his ship and sacrificing them. I- I'm fine with that. That's, <laughs> cut my tongue out, yeah, daddy. That, but, oh, my God. But this, this Euron is, like, hot topic. And he's, yeah. like... I'm here because I got kicked out of my band because I kept sleeping with underage girls. Oh, wow! So that's how I feel about this. Are, era. We, is that, are we talking about? Are we talking about any specific bands right now, Chloe? Anyways, so <laughs> moving on to predictions. <laughs> uh, we did get some questions about some predictions for the next episode. We won't go into a ton of it, but I do want to have a great couple questions from Dallas. Uh, she was on the live stream with us. She's great. Look She's her up great. on Twitter, Dallas Lazarus. She asked, are we going to get a Sansan reunion? No. You really That's don't think answer. so? I mean, probably I not. So. I, but like... I, the Sansan queen of everything, I'm telling you. They will be in so many shots together, and if they speak, 
I will be pooping myself. I will be on the floor laughing because oh my God. at this point, there's no way. There's no way. The only way we're going to get this Sansan reunion is if she holds him while he dies after he kills his brother. That's it. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to get... I don't know. I don't know. All Sand... I can't wait till this show is all over, only because you know I'm about to go off about Sandor. I've kept my mouth shut for like eight seasons, but there's a lot to talk yeah. about with what they've done with him in the show. And unfortunately, he's a chicken meme now, and he doesn't give a fuck about the girl in King's Landing that told him it was okay to fucking cry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so if we get a Sansan reunion, I don't know, I'll probably owe someone like 30 bucks. I'm pretty sure me and Lady Gwyn were betting about this, actually, what did weren't she? we? I don't remember. I was drunk. I don't remember, but that's true. Yeah, I was too. But I'm pretty sure Lady Gwyn and I were betting about was this. Was this on the stream or like not? It might have been off the stream. It oh, might have been just I don't general, even know. But... Okay. Word. So next question from Dallas. Does Sansa want to be queen? I think Sansa I wanted to be know. Lady in the North. Yeah. I don't know if she wants to be queen anymore, but I don't know that she doesn't not she that she's like opposed to the idea, you know what I'm saying? I think she would be a great ruler. Yeah. Um I don't know if she wants to be the queen of everything anymore. I don't think that's a that's a thing she wants. I think we've kind of seen that arc from when she wanted to be queen in season one and two. She was like, yes, I'll be the best queen ever. But then she, in the end, just wanted to go home. She just wanted to find home, find her family, and keep her family safe, which we're seeing a lot of as she asks Danny for Northern independence. And I think that's going to come into play. I think definitely Sansa might unite the Riverlands, the Vale, and the North together, since she kind of has the keys to those places. But... I don't think Sansa wants to be queen. Yeah. But I don't preclude that from happening to her. Will John abdicate is another question Dallas asks. I don't know. I don't know anything that's happening. <laughs> Who knows anymore? This show doesn't make sense. I, I I think that there's heavy foreshadowing that's been laid down for John abdicating his claim to Danny. I don't uh, Jenny of Old Stones, Jenny's song, that's the biggest thing. But I don't think it really matters if they get married. It doesn't matter. Just get married. I mean, look at all the Targaryens that just got married to fix this problem, and look at the ones who didn't. Looking at you, Dance of the Dragons. Oh, uh, I'm also looking at, uh, granted, like, that fix itself, but I'm like, mm, okay, Jaharis, not letting... Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I just, uh, I think it's silly because everybody, all of us, we all know they could just get married and it wouldn't fucking matter. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, everybody's talking about that in the show. Varys, Tyrion, Davos. So to me, that says, will it not happen? I don't even know. Okay. I don't, I don't know. know anymore. There's literally right. no logic. But like, not in like a cool, like, I don't know what's going to happen. But like, in a, I don't know. I literally don't know. I just don't. Uh, uh, we all thought we had ideas about the last episode, and then they all didn't happen. So it's like, what's the point? Me smoking a cigar. What's the point? Game of Thrones? Haven't heard that name in a long time. I'm also going to quote Dallas. You know, she has this great tweet. I'm just going to fucking quote her right here. And because of it fits into the discussion that you and I are having right now. I'm like, I don't fucking know. Dallas, uh, who on Twitter is D-A-L-Y-C-E. L-A-Z-A-R-I-S, so Dallas Lazarus, wrote, Did George R.R. R. Martin write The Red Wedding for shock value? No, he wrote The Red Wedding to show us how winning the war in the short term does not in and of itself bestow your family name with everlasting legacy, among other reasons that still have nothing to do 
with shock value. Like, of course it was shocking because we weren't expecting it, but that wasn't the core, that wasn't the fulcrum that made it so impactful for the rest of the story. And I, that's why I'm just like, I don't fucking know it's going to happen anymore because, I don't know, there's no fulcrum anymore for things. Whatever. Uh, Dallas also asked, will we see House Glover? Uh, maybe. I hope they hang their asses. I didn't think about it, but I... I until like she asked this question and i'm like that'd be interesting if they did show up though and they're like mm. um a lot of people are theorizing that they will show up with the lannisters and fight for the lannisters and that's interesting mm. to me i'd like to see that just uh just to see that little turn i hope that of course john gets to bring some justice to them for betraying the north because they've been assholes since season six yeah like remember when sansa and john go there and they're like nah fuck you we won't fight with you and then in the finale they're like We'll never break faith again. And then all of a sudden in season eight, it's like, what's the truth? Yeah. Yeah, flippy floppies. And then she goes, what about the damned Riverlands? The Riverlands? I think we're going to see them because uh, it's rumored that Edmure's actor yeah. is coming back. Where is Edmure Tully? Bring out our son, Edmure Tully. Arya didn't free her uncle, send tweet. Yeah. He's in the. He's somehow in there still. He's still alive, but he is. I've heard his actors coming back. So what about his I think son? we'll get. Okay. <laughs> I think we'll at least get like a scene of him or the Riverlands joining the fray. Not the fray. It's yeah. just the fray. Hashtag free Edmure. He's free now, right? Free Edmure. I don't, I don't, I don't even know. know. She killed all the frays, so he must be. I don't know. Or he's just been there. And here's the deal: we're never going to get an explanation. You're not going to know what he's been doing. Just putting that out there. Why didn't he come north and bring his armies if he's going to show up in the show? What? I don't know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'd imagine the Riverlands are the only place that really have food left and stuff, though. So but Do they have much farms? I wouldn't be surprised. Like the No, those are all gone. I don't know. Fuck it. I don't know. Fuck it. Uh, Fuck the it. Associate, I think the associate economy is going to see like a huge boost in agriculture exports. And we won't see any of that on the show. Nope. Nope. None of that. All right. But, so our final question comes to us from Zach Newman on Patreon. And he asks, what outcome over the next three episodes would be satisfying to you to wrap up this whole dot, dot, dot experience? Uh, just for it to be over. <laughs> I guess don't. Just fucking end yeah. it. I don't know. Don't, I guess don't include my super pessimistic. A satisfying... I know I'm going to. A satisfying way to end this for me, this whole experience, would be that we get the last three episodes, and then that weekend, George says that the Winds of Winter is coming out, yes. and that's it. That would be satisfying to wrap up this whole dot 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 experience. <laughs> I hope that like the ellipsis Zach put there is on purpose. I think it is. Oh, I think it Love is. Love you, Zach. Yeah, I think that in the end, I just want to see some sort of wrap up of how the kingdoms come together. And I don't want it to be like Harry Potter epilogue, but I would at least like to know where everybody that's alive ends up. And I'd like some like sad deaths. You know, I want some shit that makes me feel like Theon dying. That was fucking great. This is the worst. I can't believe Theon's dead. I was like for about a good seven minutes. I was having an emotional like breakdown about it. Like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Is this what's going to happen? Oh, my God. And then like the rest of the episode happened. So whatever. But I, I was really emotionally in with Theon's death. And I just really hope that they really hone in on the emotions and they really make me cry. That's what I want. Yeah. We're in this to cry. Yeah, I'm here to cry. I'm yeah. here to get drunk and cry. I'm all out of wine. Yep. That's it. That's 
Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. So, Eliana, big predictions. Anything you think will happen in the next three episodes? Anything that you're like, this has to happen? No. <laughs> Elephants? Elephants? <laughs> uh, no, they that's definitely not happening. Now. Yeah, that's true. They have the money. I mean, come on. No White Walkers. It's true. Um, Tell me you can't afford elephants now. I want Harry Strickland to be flying back over to the east and bringing back elephants. That's bullshit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely think there's going to be something with Tyrion. I think we're going to see what the end of the Cersei scene was eventually, or at least hear or find out what it was. Uh, I think that'll happen because it definitely cut that scene off in season seven for a reason. <sighs> Sansa in a leadership role. Yeah, they have to figure out how to rebuild everything now that they're like, shit, everything's falling apart. Um, maybe we'll get a memorial. I hope we get a memorial. It would be nice if they do some sort of memorial, yeah. Um, yeah, I hope we have like a remembrance or something moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I have like, I have, like a 40-page essay that I wrote about like Daenerys dying, but like I don't fucking know anymore. Yeah, they did say they did say that the next episode would be Shakespearean, but it seems like she's there in episode five, so I don't fucking know. <sighs> yeah, I guess we'll see. Word. <laughs> I I don't mean to sound like such a downer. I'm like I'm really looking forward to uh, I think this next episode and hoping that it uh, provides some sort of resolution slash satisfaction for what happened in episode three because I really loved episode two. Yeah, I I did like episode two, and I really thought, uh, I don't know, I loved episode two, and I thought maybe episode three would really keep a lot of that thematic resonance that we saw in episode two, but it was different. It was definitely different. I I was a little disappointed. I think I got my hopes up a little too much because, uh, man, I got my hopes up. Episode two was so good, even with the minor little things that I maybe wasn't. Like, I I was willing to forgive so much minor stuff. You heard me. Episode two, I was yelling, I love this episode. I love this episode. No, it was great. I was, like, crying happy tears. It was a disappointing, and, and, like, we were just talking about it uh, while we were watching episode two at Ice and FireCon. People were, like, talking during Brienne's nighting, and I was like, excuse me! Like, this is a historical moment. You You guys need to shut up. I don't care if this isn't the new episode. Like, you don't just get to talk. God, yeah. it was history. Some like, we were watching history. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Anyway. I don't know. I, I have hopes that maybe they will continue, uh, continue on, but we'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Yeah. Thanks so much, guys. If you sent in some uh, questions, we super, super, super appreciate it. This has been a blast uh, to just get our air our grievances we didn't really do a real episode this week for this thanks for giving us our space to be us and thanks for everyone thank you if you send in a question yeah absolutely and of course we all have different opinions on the show yeah Uh, it's not a bad show it's not it's okay what it is it's got a great this year it's beautiful it's cinematic i'm gonna appreciate it for what it is of course there are gonna be things that bug me and really we're just talking about them to give you guys something to listen to and argue about (laughs) but that's fun yeah and but and of course again it's only gonna last the next few hours and like let's see how it all plays out in in a bit you know you know in the end it doesn't even matter thrones was really the friends we made along the way i thought we were doing lincoln park but okay Nope, I was going to go this, but that's fine. That's fine, fine. too. (laughs) 
Well, guys, as always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. You know me from the internet as at Arbor on Twitter, Tumblr, and LizenArborGold.com. And I'm another one of your hosts, Eliana, also known as Glass Table Girl. Be sure to uh, set your alarm clocks because we are going on with Night's Cast live at 5 p.m. ET. Yes, so tune in for that. Check it out, and we will see you guys on Tuesday for uh, episode four, season eight, episode four. Bye.